Good morning. How are you guys? I was actually expecting like nine of you to show up this morning, so it's kind of awesome that there's, there's some more of you guys here. We got some new families as well. For those of you that haven't had an opportunity to meet yet, I'm Kevin Wheat. I'm one of the elders, and I'm grateful to be bringing you guys the message this morning. While Shannon and Karen are on an anniversary trip in Oklahoma, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the words anniversary trip in Oklahoma don't normally go together. I hope that when he, uh, when he gets back that you won't hold that against him and start to question his judgment. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Last week, Shannon talked about moving towards one another in humility. In chapter 4, he got through verse 13. When he comes back, he is going to be picking back up in chapter 4. So we are bouncing around just a little bit. I hope that's not too confusing. Peter, in his letter, is addressing the believers who were suffering escalating persecution. The purpose was to teach them how to live victoriously in the midst of hostility, something that I think that's becoming more and more applicable to us with each passing day. One of the things I think that we often miss is how Scripture addresses practical questions about everyday Christian living. First Peter is a great book that does that. So far in First Peter, we've tackled questions like, uh, do Christians need a priesthood to intercede with God for them? What should the Christian's attitude be toward authority and leadership to the government, in the workplace, and in our marriages? We even see Peter discuss how a Christian lady should conduct herself. I'm glad he bit that off and not me. If you happen to miss any of those previous sermons and are interested in hearing them, you can go to SoundCloud to check them out. If you're not familiar with the SoundCloud app, you can get with me after the service, and I'll be glad to get you set up. You could also find Ryan Actually, just go ahead and go straight to Andrea, and uh, she'll get you fixed up with, uh, with, with how you can get that to work. As we dig into chapter 5, we see Peter make sure that he doesn't leave anyone out as he turns his attention to the church and encourages the elders to shepherd the people, the young men to submit to the elders, and for everyone to stand firm in the faith. This morning, we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 5, and we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about spiritual leadership, sheep, and shepherding, and how the congregation should respond to church leadership. Let's open Scripture together and read from 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's go ahead and start with the very first word. The ESV translation uses the word so. If you're reading out of the NASB, you're going to see the word therefore. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you should always check to see what it is there for. The words therefore and so tell us that what's about to be presented is based off of what's already been said. Peter's exhortations, his encouragement to the elders and younger men in our text are related to his teaching on suffering going back to chapter four and really the theme we see throughout 1 Peter. Peter takes what is commonly a noun, 
the word poimeno in Greek, which is the word we translate as shepherd or pastor. And he uses it as a verb here, poimen, which means to shepherd or to pastor. To clear up any confusion from the start, the elder is the same leader as the overseer, shepherd, and pastor, as scripture often uses these words interchangeably. There are two primary commands from the text that we just read together. The first one is found in verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight for elders to shepherd and lead God's people, not the elders' people, not Redeemer Church's people, but God's people. The second primary command is found in verse five, likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders. It's not a surprise or an accident that we see Peter use the words that he does here. They remind us of the words that Jesus spoke to Peter in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. From Genesis to Revelation, we see references to sheep and shepherds. Key biblical figures like Abraham, Moses, and King David were all shepherds. And we know that an illustration of a shepherd with his sheep was used often in biblical times because it was an illustration that they could easily identify with in their cultural context. The illustrations that we use are most effective when they're understood easily by the culture to which God asks us to speak truth to. Middle Eastern cultures understood what shepherding was all about. Now, there are a few people here this morning that I don't know, but I, of the people I do know, none of you are a shepherd by primary vocation. So I'm going to take just a second to tell you guys what that was about. It was about feeding the lambs and the sheep, bringing them to good pasture lands and water, grooming them and clipping them, delivering new lambs, leading them, teaching them to stay together, going off after the wandering lost ones, and protecting them in the field and in the fold. Sheep are docile. They're easily led, and they're completely at the mercy of their environment and predators. They're the only animal in the world that, be, that can be completely lost when they're only a few miles from home, and they have no instinct to get themselves back to where they came from. They have no sense of direction at all. Anybody here ever hear of a sheep fight? Me neither. Sheep are defenseless. Without a shepherd, without someone to lead them and to teach them and to care and comfort them, sheep don't survive. Listen, leadership matters. The most important decision that organizations and people make are who will lead them. It's why you see CEOs and head coaches of sports teams making obscene money. I'm not saying that they deserve the amount of money that they make and I'm not jumping into the middle of the wage disparity issue, but it is a clear example of the value of leadership. It matters who leads at our jobs and in our schools and in our homes. Unless you just woke up this morning, you know that it's election season 
And there's been a lot of people that have been pretty fired up and passionate about that. And to some extent, it's understandable. It matters who leads our nation. Frankly, I cannot think of a place where it matters more than who is leading in our churches. We see this play out time and time again in the Old Testament. When a godly king was in power, we see righteousness prevail. When a sinful king was in power, we see that evil is rampant. It matters to God, and it should matter to followers of Christ, who's in authority at all levels of leadership. From the leader in the White House to the leaders in our homes, Scripture emphasizes the importance of leadership. Peter knew that times of suffering and persecution called for the right types of leadership in the church. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, God's church needs strong leaders. Maybe some of you are familiar with some of the challenges facing the United Methodist Church right now. They recently met for their general conference, which they have every four years, and they're struggling with how best to address the issues of same-sex marriage in the LGBT movement. There are some in their leadership who think that they should change their view that marriage is between one man and one woman. Due to, due to mounting pressure of a potential church or denomination split, they've formed a special council that's going to spend the next two years at least reviewing whether the second largest Protestant Christian denomination should restructure so that they can ordain LGBT people and allow them to perform same-sex marriages. They receive letters of support from the Presbyterian Church USA and Episcopal Church to change their official position of marriage being between one man and one woman. Scripture is very clear. It calls us to love and serve people. I believe that if Jesus were here physically, that he would be the first person to love and serve those in the LGBT community. But I know that he would not bless or ordain habitual, unrepentant sin. The truth of Scripture is not going to change in two years or 2,000 years. Over the course of the last few decades, I'm afraid that the modern American church has been more focused on being run like a business. God's call is not for his church to be run like businesses. We've been focused on charismatic leaders who can grow our churches quickly. We want and expect and experience every time we walk through the doors of our churches. We're addicted to growth as measured by the number of people who show up every week. My fear is seeing the modern American church go the way of the Ivy League, which in my opinion is one of the greatest examples of leadership failure ever. Every year in annual surveys, Harvard is ranked as one of the top five most liberal universities in the country. It's recently been described as one of the top anti-Jesus schools. On May 10th, that's just three weeks ago, Harvard Law professor Mark Tushnet called for liberals to begin treating those who subscribe to Christian conservative beliefs like Nazis. What you may not know is that Harvard, Princeton, Yartmouth, Yartmouth, Dartmouth, not Yartmouth, Dartmouth, and Yale all owe their origins to the gospel. Almost every Ivy League school was established to fulfill the Great Commission and train pastors. Harvard was founded 
in anticipation of the need of training clergy for the new commonwealth. In its early days, it was referred to as the church in the wilderness. Its early motto was Veritas Christo et Ecclesiae, meaning truth for, truth for Christ and the church. Harvard College's first presidents and tutors insisted that there could be no true knowledge or wisdom apart from Jesus Christ. And without their passionate Christian convictions, Harvard would never have existed. How do you go from being a church in the wilderness to being viewed as the top anti-Jesus university? You do that when your leadership is willing to compromise its original purpose and mission. Believe it or not, Yale was founded to fight the growing liberalism at Harvard, but in an effort to keep up, stay relevant and current, end up losing its way exactly the same way that Harvard did. Is that what's happening in our churches? That in an effort to keep up, stay relevant, have a lot of people here, that church leaders are getting bent towards a watered-down version of the truth? Or playing politics or talking in circles or even staying silent on key issues? Are church leaders more concerned about being on the right side of history or the right side of eternity? I have a couple of questions for all of us as we think about our contribution to that. Are we more interested and our pastor's charisma and oratory skills or his character? Are we more interested in his administration and ministry programming skills or his ability to teach? Shepherding is not about creativity and ideas. Shepherding is about character, teaching, and the way that you comfort and care for people. I hear people talk all the time about being fed and the importance of being fed. We know that one of the qualifications for elders is the ability to teach. Jesus' words to Peter and John, feed my lambs, was a call to teach. Jesus was a master teacher. It was one of the most fundamental aspects of his leadership. He came to show us and teach us a new way of being. I would argue that all great leaders have to have some ability to teach. And Jesus' ability to help us see new allowed us to understand his messages. As Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. If Jesus had a church in Fate, Texas, would we go? And I'm asking that question as much of myself as I am of anyone else in this room. If Jesus had a church in Fate, Texas, would we go? Scripture tells us that his ministry probably wouldn't have had the best child care. And I don't know that he would have offered the best worship experience. It would have definitely been a very transient environment because people would have constantly been sent out. He didn't have a separate student ministry. He drew large crowds, sure. But we know from John chapter 6 that after the feeding of the 5,000, which was really like 20,000, 
that most of the people following him were doing so because they wanted to be entertained. They wanted food and miracles. When Jesus called them out, Scripture tells us they turned back and no longer walked with him. I'm not saying that all of those things are bad, childcare and VBS programs and worship. But I think oftentimes when people refer to not being fed, they're confusing teaching for entertainment. Peter makes it clear that serving as an elder is not an assignment, but it's a calling. It's to be done willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but by being examples. This one must have been tough for Peter. He seems to have had a very naturally dominant personality. Scripture gives us a lot of examples of that. None of the disciples spoke as often as Peter did, and none are spoken to by the Lord as much as Peter was. No disciple is as frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter, but Peter is also the only disciple that ever rebuked the Lord. No one else confessed Christ as boldly or acknowledged the Lord as forcefully as Peter did, yet no disciple ever verbally denied Christ publicly either. No one is praised and blessed by Christ the way that Peter was, yet Peter was the only disciple that Christ addressed as Satan. All of these things contributed to making Peter the leader that Christ wanted him to be. God took a common man with an ambivalent, vacillating, and impulsive personality and shaped him into a rock-like leader, the greatest preacher among the apostles. I hope that this isn't a news bulletin for any of you that are here, but elders are not super Christians. We're not perfect people or better people than anyone else. Unfortunately, we don't have superhuman strength, which I'll admit would be kind of cool. If you look at the news, you can see the very public failure of some of America's pastors. Mark Driscoll is a name that some of you may know. In 2014, he had to step out of his church in large part due to an abusive and domineering work environment. He was the leader and founder of Acts 29. About a month or so ago, Darren Patrick, who was a VP of Acts 29 and was part of the board that removed Driscoll, recently had to step away from his home church, the journey in St. Louis, in addition to Acts 29 as well, for the same offenses. Plurality of leadership is important. We know that because it's biblical. In the case of Mr. Driscoll and Mr. Patrick, plurality of leadership meant that their issues got exposed I can't tell you how grateful I am for Shannon and Paul. For the ability to sit down with Shannon as I'm trying to prepare the content for this message. For the time that Shannon, Paul, and I spend together as we pray through where God is leading this church and and where he wants us to go. In addition to them being engaged enough in my life to be able to speak truth to me when I need it. And I need it often. Plurality of leadership is also important because everybody is gifted differently. Some people are better speaking in front of larger groups. Some people are better more in in an individual and one-on-one type of setting. 
The text in verse three tells us that church leadership is called to be examples to the flock. Jesus led by example. Of course, we see this throughout scripture when he doesn't throw the first stone, even though he's the only one that actually could have. When he turns the other cheek and when we see him wash the the feet of the disciples, he lived the life of his words and vision. As Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You should be able to take somebody that's new to the faith or even agnostic or atheist and have them spend time with elders to see discipleship in action. They won't see perfection. That isn't the point. The point isn't for them to see how great an individual church leader may or may not be. The reality is church leaders are ordinary people. I like a term that John MacArthur uses when he describes the disciples by saying that they're remarkably unremarkable. What someone should see is living proof that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. They should see a church leader that doesn't lead by his own example, but by his. The most important thing they should see, anyone should see a church leadership is submission. Everything an elder does should be marked by submission to who God is, what he's done, his authority, and the truth of his word. As we transition to the second primary command, the one that we find in verse five that says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We find the uncomfortable words, be subject to again. Throughout 1 Peter, we see reference after reference to suffering and being subject to, being subject to authority in the government and in the workplace and in our marriages. It's critical that you understand that the charge from verse two for shepherds, for the shepherd, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, is not first the oversight of policies and procedures and systems and budgets and stuff, but is first the oversight of people. The oversight of people created in his image. People for whom the Father loves. People for whom Christ died. People in whom the Holy Spirit resides. Sorry, you guys got to give me a second. The shepherding oversight is a willing, eager, and humble oversight of people whom God leads under their care. Let me start with a couple of questions for those of you that are charged with being subject to the elders. Have you ever been shepherded? Are you open to being shepherded? I think for most of you in the congregation this morning, the command to be subject to the elders seems far removed, distant, something that's not directly applicable to you. And you may wonder how you participate in something like that. I'm gonna give you guys six examples real quick. I know, six examples and real quick. I saw some of you look at your watch. That was, that was good. But seriously, real quick, we're gonna run through six examples of where you should let shepherds shepherd. Let them shepherd you as you come in. When you're making the move to a new church and you begin to settle in and get connected with people, open your life up to the shepherds of that flock. This gives them an opportunity to get to know you. 
and how you best respond to being led, taught, cared for, and comforted. In a small church, the shepherds might seek you out. It's easy because you can recognize a new face. When you're new and you come to a place like Redeemer with 50 to 75 people in this type of setting, some of you might be feeling this this morning, you feel like you walked in with a flashing fluorescent light on your head. In a larger church, it's a little bit easier to get lost in the crowd. And so you might need to actively seek out the leaders of that congregation. Regardless of the size of the church, if the leaders of that congregation cannot make time for their primary work of tending to the people that God has led to them, you might want to reconsider if that's the best place for you and your family to be shepherded. Let them shepherd you through major life decisions. Let me be very clear. Elders do not take the place of the Holy Spirit in your life. Even though they don't take the place of the Holy Spirit in your life, they can serve as a means through which the Holy Spirit can give you some guidance and direction through major life decisions. What do they say the three most stressful things are? Job change, pregnancy, move, relocation. When you're going through those type of circumstances, let shepherd shepherd. Allow them to, to sit with you and pray with you. Raise concerns and challenges that you may not have thought about. Encourage you and affirm God's leadership in your life. Let them walk with you through those decisions rather than just informing them after you've made it. Let them shepherd you as you suffer. When you receive unexpected or unfortunate news, share that with the people responsible and charged by God with your oversight. Let elders sit with you and read with you and and pray over you. When your child rebels, when your marriage is in the midst of a rocky season, when money and time are tight, when you lose someone close to you, when you suffer persecution on account of the gospel, even from friends and family, and all of those things will happen at some point. Let shepherds shepherd. They won't have all the answers. And they don't have a magic wand that they can wave that can just take away all the hurt and pain. But they can sit with you and they can hurt with you and cry with you and mourn with you while they can, while they can point you to the only one that can actually do anything and give you a sense of peace and that's the risen Christ. Let them shepherd you as you engage in mission. When you see God leading you to reach out to a particular person or a people group with the good news of Christ, let shepherd shepherd. Share with them the call that you feel like God's placing on your life and the burden that God's given you. Talk with them through what you believe the next steps are. Open your life up to their counsel. Open your life up for God to speak through your overseers who must give an account to God on your behalf for the way that they've loved and served you. Give them the joyous opportunity to pray with and for you, to support you and to encourage you. Let them walk with you through the process from inception to commission. 
Let them shepherd you as you fight sin. We all have skin on and we all fight sin. Whether you're struggling against occasional or habitual sin, let shepherds shepherd. Good shepherds know all too well that they share in your humanity and they struggle against the flesh just like you do. There may be an instance where a shepherd does have to stand over you under the direction of Christ in discipline for your good. You should first allow shepherds to walk with you while you fight sin. You should let them care and comfort you and speak loving truth to you about how Christ has freed and forgiven you. When you're dealing with lust and pornography or greed and materialism, when you're trying to battle pride and arrogance, when you're overwhelmed with the preoccupation with yourself, which never happens to me, let shepherds shepherd, right? What? Did you have to laugh that loud? My, lo- my, my lovely bride just sold me out big. Finally, let them shepherd you as you leave. Jessica does like to tell me that I'm naive. But I'm not naive to the point that I believe that Redeemer Church is the only Christ-centered and faithful church in the entire great state of Texas. There may come a time when God begins to prompt you for various valid reasons to move to another church. Oftentimes, because those conversations can be really uncomfortable, we don't let shepherds shepherd. We start to sense that something might be off or that we may not be the best fit and that God might be leading us somewhere else, but we don't communicate that to the people that have been charged with our oversight. We start to visit other churches. We make a decision, and we may or may not let anyone know. Oftentimes, what's concerning for the elders is not that people are leaving our churches, but why and how they're leaving our churches. Are they wandering? Have they left because of a sin issue with themselves? Or with somebody here at the church that instead of putting it in the light, they feel like it's easier to step away? Our desire is not to build an empire here at Redeemer Church. Our desire is to see people transformed by the power of the gospel. It's a blessing when that happens here. And it's a blessing when that happens at Crosspoint or Cornerstone or Ridgeview. Let shepherds shepherd you through your departure. If you do, you might find that what you were missing could be found at your current church. But even if you don't, and after prayerful consideration, you decide that it's time to step away, at least you've worked through it biblically. Being subject to means giving honor, deference, and respect to those in spiritual leadership 
And it means letting shepherds shepherd. As we close today, I'm going to ask you guys to do two things. I like that. I see a couple of you guys getting it ready to write it down. That was good. I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray for the elders here at Redeemer Church. Pray that God would guide our steps and give us clarity of vision. Pray that God would bring men here with a desire to serve as shepherds. Pray and ask God for his help in allowing you to let shepherds shepherd. I've said that a lot. Let shepherds shepherd. The second thing, I'm going to ask you guys to read. Spend time reading God's word. One of the ways that you can protect yourself from poor spiritual leadership and false teaching is to read scripture for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Take his. It's the only one that matters. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we get ready to pray together and close out so that you guys can go and enjoy the rest of this lovely Memorial Day weekend. Let's pray together. Father, you and you alone are a good shepherd. This morning, I want to pray for church leadership, not just here at Redeemer, but for Christ-centered churches all over the world. God, I pray that you would give church leadership wisdom to lead and teach and care for and comfort and love and serve people well. I pray that you would give them strength to be bold, to always preach the truth of the gospel, no matter how offensive it may be to some. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that you would watch over and protect the people here. God, I know that there were people that walked through the doors this morning and they didn't know what to expect. I pray that they received the message well. I pray that they're, for the people that walked through those doors and knew that they were searching for something, I pray that they found it. Whether it was a connection with a person or words that they heard during our time of worship or words that were spoken during the message. Father, I pray that you would encourage us that even though we live in a time of, of hostility, that you are still the King of Kings. That you are still in control of everything. I pray that as we, as we look around us and we see all these things taking place with questions about same-sex marriage and, and the election and people, I pray that we could love and serve people well even when we disagree. Father, I do pray for all of those that have loved and lost somebody because they've served. I pray that while this weekend truly is something that brings back those memories, just pray that you could be with them and I pray that you could give them comfort and peace. I pray that you could give them a knowledge that they didn't lose someone for nothing. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask for all of these things 
in the name of the risen Christ. Amen.